0: I'm Elizabeth Stark and I'm Angie Powers and this this is Storymakers. Today we sit down with two hardworking producers of independent movies Heather Haggerty and Nanu Madison the people behind Sparklight Films
1: I've been lucky enough to work with Heather and Nanu on a couple of projects most recently Remember Me you'll hear us mention some folks from the production Steve who starred in Remember Me and who has also been a past podcast guest
0: you can go listen to his podcast next
1: yes if you haven't already also I mentioned Pam who is Pam Walker and plays a wonderfully comedic doctor in the film and you can find Pam
0: on IMDb currently remember me which stars Rita Moreno and silver screen newcomer Steve Goldblum is tearing up the festival circus circuit. (laughs) Freudian slip. Uh, Nanu and Heather are also producers on the feature film Carrie Pilby, starring Belle Powley, Gabriel Byrne, and Nathan Lane, which is in post-production. And their last feature was the critically acclaimed Eastside Sushi, which
1: won 13 audience Best Narrative, Best Screenplay Jury Awards on the festival circuit in 2015, and has had its national U.S. theatrical run since September 2015, and is being distributed by Samuel Gold- Goldwyn Mayer and Sony.
0: Enrollment for Book Writing World Summer and Fall Classes opens next week. We tend to fill up fast, so go to www.bookwritingworld.com and click on classes and/or join the mailing list to find out more and keep abreast of developments. And with that, enjoy the show.
1: So how are you guys?
2: Great.
3: We're very good. Working a little less in terms of the, you know, intensity, which uh-huh. is nice to be able to breathe a little bit and mm-hmm. kind of a, a wider view, a larger view than just the immediacy of the day to day. Here I'm gonna turn my phone off. There's we that.
2: um we hired a distribution consultant who we've worked with <laughs> yeah, before yeah. and uh, so oh Nanny told you. So that's actually been nice. It's in We're her actually remember we heard about Stacey from Angie. Oh, that's so great. (laughs) Yeah, no, she's cool. I I support that
1: decision in every way because that's what you were looking for from me.
2: Yeah. 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 Exactly.
1: From everybody actually,
2: yeah. <laughs> she's great. She's okay. great. So, I don't know how she's so fast on email, she mm-hmm. is like you send an email, she is like back mm-hmm. to you usually in less than a half an hour. If it takes longer, it's surprising. Wow, yeah.
3: I don't know how she does that. I really don't know how. I mean, they aren't you know the most well thought through emails, but <laughs> it's incredible. And also, we've learned how to ask her one thing, you know, but really, like, bam, she's on it. Yeah. Yeah, I, I feel like you know she has a lot going on.
2: She yeah. has. Yeah, she has a lot of clients. I think.
3: Yeah, and she answers forums, and she has clients and she's doing web things. Yeah, and yeah. I don't. I, I don't know. I don't know. That's not my personality as much.
1: <laughs> well, when you're in the middle of production, though, you are probably both those high response people because, right? You know, so it's really probably a matter of. You know, don't take this personally, people, that Nanu and Heather get back to slowly. But priority,
2: right? Yeah. Yeah. I guess. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. I feel like now we're much slower. I mean, (laughs) it's intentional. (laughs) intentional. Yeah, no, no. It's like, like It's not
3: sustainable. And also, the other thing is I feel like... um, One thing I have learned um, is that as a producer and as a manager, it's better to not jump when somebody says jump, like to really think about something Mm. and have that and and proceed with Mm. intelligence and pace and not just like, oh, somebody wants me to do something, I'm going to do it right away. Right.
1: So I feel like that's kind of an important step. So that's why it's more intentional. We're just telling them you'll do it right away and then not, which is my strategy.
2: (laughs) <laughs> strategy too
0: so let's check in about what we're working on now maybe we'll start and then we'll go into yours and that will lead us on so Angie, what are you working on now? I am in the middle of two things, one, I, I think
1: I've mentioned to you guys before, I've done sort of a radical rewrite based on good notes from you guys and the other folks, so I'm trying to wrap that up and kind of make it you know, as solid as it can be um and then i'm actually starting to work on doing visual exploration for the look of the film so uh kind of building a lookbook uh and just right now in that very exploratory phase we're really thinking about ideas and you know there's the aesthetics of humor and what are those and how can i play with those expectations to bring um you know, pathos to straight up comedy. So.
0: Awesome. Right. I am also deep in revision. Having gotten notes from my group, I printed out my, um, I did a few, you know, periods in fetal position. And then I made a whole lot of lists and then I uh, printed out my manuscript. And now I'm going through and I put everything onto index cards, all the scenes. So I'm shuffling and reworking. So, so, but now I'm, now I'm out of fetal position and feeling really excited. (laughs) So what are you guys working on right now?
3: Well, I I love the fetal position thing so much because it's so easy to say what we're working on without that step. You know, we just, we eliminate that step. And then when we go through it, we think, what am I doing? Anyway, We're not in fetal position right now. Um, We are in the process of kind of taking our baby remember me and putting it out into the world means film festivals and it means uh, working with a distribution consultant on connecting with distribution distributors and then we're working on what we want to do next Mm -hmm. that's that's what i'll
0: give it up to heather Um, um, oh oh wait hold on we're echoing
2: how about now not now Um, We have a a couple scripts that one um, that's written that we're looking at revising um, and Mm -hmm. another one a story idea we've had for a while that we're just dying to do. We're so glad that we didn't do it um, or try to do it uh, about a year ago. uh, we're meeting with the writer actually tomorrow, um, who we're hiring to write it. Um, but we're so glad we didn't do it like a year or even two years ago because it was so great to do our last film, which is which will be will end up being a smaller budget than this next project. And um, I think, yeah, we're just super excited to take sort of all the things we've learned from the last couple films that we've been really involved with, and um, and bring it to this bigger project. Mm-hmm.
0: Wow. So exciting. Well, I want to dig into a couple of things. One is that, you know, when we we interview a lot of writers and um, and one of the things that surprises writers and in some ways is uncomfortable about being a writer is how much you have to promote your own work that it isn't, you know, publishers don't do it anymore as if I don't know if they really ever did. They probably did more. It was probably easier. But um, as producers, you're really I mean, you're clearly involved in the level of story, and I want to talk about that piece and kind of what it means to hire a writer and all that. But then you also are carrying it all the way, all the way through, right, every step of the way. So um, I guess I just want to talk about, like, maybe what it's like to hold, like, the holistic picture from creativity to marketing. (laughs) It's a really big question, but no, uh, and that's like two to three minutes. Just you know, <laughs> go ahead. Um, it's a great question,
3: and it reminds me actually of writing a script, because in a sense, you know, you don't you want to know where you're going when you start the script. You know, there's it's it's follows an arc of a character, right? And you almost have to know the end before you start the beginning. And I think the same thing in producing the <clears throat> the end. Has informed a lot of decisions along the way, and um, I think also because of our personality, at this point we really wouldn't want anybody else to be taking it all the way to the end. We really wanted to see this entire process through, and I think it will also inform the next process because we've seen it at the end. But um, so that's kind of that's one way of looking at it. The other thing that you know Heather and I were just talking about is what we really feel about this movie and ideally and very likely every movie we make is that it's something of value that we are putting something out that has quality and that's going to be in this case really fun for people and with a meaningful message um subliminally uh communicated and um i think that what we when we are looking at putting it out into the world and taking it to this next step, we really want to see that what we have is we're offering something of value, not just, oh, okay, how can we get the most money for this little, how, we, we worked so hard, and now we really want to you know get paid. It's really not that way. We really want to see it on a different level. Because then it's much, much, much easier to promote. Mm-hmm. That's what I would say.
1: But you're not opposed to money.
3: No, not in <laughs> any way, shape, or form opposed to money. Just not money to compensate for having done something too hard. Right. I just feel like because this has value, it should be valued. And I feel like our expectation is that we, um, and we what, what we've seen also, we already won an audience award. We've won you know a best male actor award, and we're ask a lot of film festivals are asking us for the movie already. I think that we are seeing that it has value and people are really connecting to it and it's a, you know, it is as wonderful as we wanted it to be and that people are really, really enjoying it. So the idea is get it out there so as many people can see it as possible. That's that's what I would say. What would you say, Heather?
2: I think that sounds great. Um, I, I would say the one thing about self-promotion, which is a subject I think about a lot, because I do think for writers it comes up a lot. And I think you're right; the landscape is it's really on writers to promote. I think tying into what Nanu is saying, I think that if you're when you're working on a project, even from the very beginning, thinking about who this is relevant to, who cares about this, and then you're finding ways that feel natural to you to connect to that audience whether it's i don't even know you know participating in certain groups or forums or whatever and then i think it's less about self-promotion than promoting this idea promoting this value whatever it is because i think um I think even just our experience, like with promoting our film and sort of thinking about social media and how you're doing, we're so saturated with all that, you know, I think all of us are, it's like, so you, I think focusing on the, what the value is that you're bringing, that is within a project and why it's important to you to share it. It should be the basis of how you think about it and how you hold your vision from beginning to end.
0: It's funny though, because there's this sort of idea that like there's your individual creative vision. I mean, I feel like I have a lot of resistance. I get are not from not internally anymore, but like that I get resistance to the idea of thinking about like who's going to to want to read this, who's going to want to see this, right? Like that, and it's but it, but that's built into your collective kind of job title, right? How do you how do you kind of negotiate, you know, I love this as against will many other people love this or, you know, I think this is important, but nobody else cares about it. How do you how do you negotiate that?
3: that our experience at our premiere film festival when we had sold out audience of 1200 people and they just adored it i think that really helped <laughs> oh oh okay see yeah people are connecting to it yay and i think that just builds on itself you know we got an encore screening and we got the audience where it just it confirms what our hopes are and then it's easier because then that can speak for you as opposed to you having to speak for yourself mm-hmm.
2: but i think if you're if you're saying uh, elizabeth that if you were asking also that what do writers who are being, I guess if you're teaching and you have writers that you're working with and they don't want to think about that question, I think that's fine not to think, I mean, I think that's a choice, right? If you decide, I don't care if anyone sees this or reads this, like um, I, what I'm going to focus on is the work. And if it's good enough, it'll stand on its own. And I think that's just one approach. And I think, but I also feel like, a lot of writers really, and I think this is true, and I think what is saying with our film is our hope from the beginning was that people would respond to certain messages within the film about not marginalizing older people, about the importance of connection. Um, and I think that, I think really, when a writer is asked to think about or is thinking about who is the audience, who cares about this, it's just, I mean, why do, why, why do you write or make... You know, films, right? Mm -hmm. It's in some way connect. It's to say something about life. So I think if someone chooses not to want to think about it that way because it feels crass, it's totally fine. But I think, um, but I think if you really want to find your audience. I think in this day and age where we're, we're all just on so much social media and there's so much news, you know, that's something worth thinking about because that's also, I think what also what Anu is saying, which is or was resonates for me is it's really fun to see your work resonate with people because there's a long time where I think maybe you guys posted the like thing about like, Oh my God, this is the best thing I've ever written. Oh my God, this is the worst thing I've ever written. Oh my God, this thing is a piece of crap. And then you're like, Oh, my God, it's great. And you just don't know. You don't know. And, you know, the other thing is it's great to, for some people and other people hate it. So that's another possibility, right? Mm-hmm. Um, so anyways, I think it's just really fun to know that it's connecting if that's what you want. And for us, we wanted it to connect with people. And it has certainly connected with a lot of people. So that's great.
3: Well, yeah. I do Of you think about where you guys are coming from as a writer, how do you look at that? And I think you know, when one is writing, I think there are there, it's the editor hat, and sometimes if you have the editor hat on, you just don't write at all. Mm -hmm. And so, similarly, you know, the who's gonna like this, who's not gonna like this hat is not necessarily useful in writing, but it's great for planning. And I think that's where it comes in. I think it does come in at certain points, not necessarily in the, in the, you know, moment
0: of writing. That's a great point. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so what do you guys look for in, uh, in a great script? What do you, what, what makes something great for you? Um, Well, it's an interesting question because I think in terms of the
3: scripts that we read when people send us scripts, um, we are most of the time not finding that. So, you know, what we're looking for is just not there. Um, And I think what we are looking for is... Where, where somebody wants to say something that we're actually saying something about life, about how the universe works. I mean, that now I'm quoting Lindsay Dorian yes. three rules. I've heard that
1: before. <laughs>
3: What's that?
0: I've heard that before. have oh, heard that before. I, Is there I somewhere? Can we get a link to that to put in the show notes? Yeah, absolutely. <clears> right. Actually, um, I
1: have it in an email.
3: So. Oh, good. Yeah. So, yeah. Um, so anyway, so I you know those are the some of the questions that we look at, I mean, as Heather was saying also, there's a reason that we want to put something out into the world. It's not just, oh, let's spend all our time, you know, putting together a movie or, you know, developing a script. There's a reason, there's some aspect of this that is important to put out there. And... That's what we're looking for in the script, and often that's not there, which is why we basically develop our own projects with working with writers and developing the story, um, because we feel like it, it. the story itself is a transformation of a character and therefore allows people in the audience to also be transformed and by audience i mean people watching it on their iphone too too. yes
1: (laughs) i am transformed here on muni yeah Um. (laughs) absolutely anywhere you can be transformed anywhere (laughs) um it's it's something interesting to look at you know um coming off of my last project for my grad school thing i got really stuck i got super bogged down um in sort of this thinking about you know expectations industry standards what people want da, 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 da. and part of what was interesting is I sent this script to a friend of mine and she was like oh like it reminds me of this film which was like a French film and so it's interesting to me to sort of think about how you know when you're talking about, like, audience, the truth is, you know, I, you know, Jumbo Lahiri is now writing in Italian, right? Yeah. Like, people are making choices, and, um, you know, and so locating ourselves, I think, ends up helping on some level, because I think certainly most people writing in English assume an English audience, or an English-speaking audience, anyway— but it's interesting to see the expectations. So as you think about Remember Me and, and, and in it being like, well, you know, in France, right? And I pick France because Nana, you have a strong connection culturally to that, right? And so how that might inform the way that you think about being a US-based filmmaker, but perhaps looking more broadly for these stories and their appeal. Um, I'm happy to take
3: that. But I also wanted to hear what Heather had to say about what we look for in a script. You know, that's an interesting point. Also, I always am saying that just as my way of, like, buying time. Um, I think that there are really different expectations on story and film coming out of all the different cultures which is one of the reasons we love to watch foreign films yeah. it's really such a different view of life i mean to me personally I feel like i have to go to europe every now and then and just have that view of life reinfuse me because the and a let's get ahead view in america really bogs me down after a while so i have to go and think oh life is about beauty and art and pleasure and delight and that's what life is about, and then we can I can come back and kind of be okay for a few a few more years, and so I go back. Um, so I think that you know I don't I feel like I can't always anticipate what uh, a foreign culture would appreciate or not get in. Um, a movie or something coming out of the U.S. because I would not have expected the French to go crazy over Jerry Lewis. Right. But I still, I just don't understand that, you know? So um, I think, you know, in terms of Remember Me, I think the humor, though as I was going to say it's very verbal. You know, there's a lot of dialogue and the, the dialogue itself is funny, though. Um, one of our producers... Maria showed it to her mom, who speaks only Spanish, and she was laughing like crazy. I think that situations are also really funny. So I don't know if this will resonate with a French audience or not. We're hoping it will definitely resonate with a British audience, an Australian audience, you know, a South African audience because of the English. Um, but you know that that experience that Maria had with her mother. Maybe maybe it will resonate with a lot of different audiences.
1: I we certainly hope so. Hmm. I didn't, did not mean to cut you off, Heather. Sorry. No, about no that. I didn't
2: cut off. <laughs> Actually, I, what I was going to ask you, um, I, I, I love that. I love talking about culture and films. Um, but, um, I think one of the things too. I, so, Angie, I, actually, I don't, I'm not sure I totally understood the question about expectations, like what you were going at. So maybe I'll just ask you that. Okay, I, well, I, that's... Like I could talk all day about foreign films. Right. And-
1: no, no, I think, um, <laughs> you know, I think that there's very, you know, my program is based in the U.K. Oh. So um, it's interesting to see how they're talking about independent film, what they mean by independent film versus what we mean in the U.S., what they find, uh, a, you know, the places where independent film can go that uh, studio level stories don't seem to. And I think that I was sort of looking at, um, you know, it is awesome to want to connect with people, but you, it's an expensive hobby, filmmaking. So you definitely <laughs> need to figure yeah. out how and where you're connecting with people and, and and to do that you kind of need to understand the expectations that you are attempting to meet and so that was sort of the two pieces I was looking at yeah
2: Yeah, I think, um, well, it's interesting, I think, in expectations, I mean, the one sort of simple thing I think about with filmmaking is if you're doing a genre film, right, you know that there are certain expectations. If you're doing a horror film, people want to be scared. If you're doing a romance, people want to end up together or something that feels like that. Um, But, you know, it's funny, Nanyu and I were just talking before we got on the call about reading industry news, and um, there. are was a time not very long ago, maybe a year ago, where I certainly kept feeling like, or even a couple years ago, we went to South by Southwest, and you know we're sitting in all these panels, all these people who are like so up on everything all the time—technology, and entertainment, and news—and like, and I. Always kept sort of promising myself that I would tomorrow read all the industry papers and tomorrow finish the New York Times and tomorrow you know and watch all the latest shows and watch and um quite, you know quite frankly I still have children at home and um it's just that doesn't I there's but I realized too that um so we were just talking before I got on the call and Nanu was mentioning there was an article about what millennials want or a conference or something and you know I think there was a time where I felt like, okay, yeah, let's read as much as we can, understand all the expectations, whether it's millennials or the industry. But the thing is, it's always changing, right? I mean, you know, we're working with a distribution consultant who has a great website called Film Specific for independent filmmakers. But, you know, we followed her articles for a long time in her posts. And, you know, things change in the industry all the time. You know, three years ago, when the economy was sort of at a real or what seemed to be a real low in Spain, they were looking for movies that they could show on TV about strong women, right? Like that's a very specific requirement, right? You know, sci-fi was really big a few years ago. Apparently sci-fi is not selling well right now. So I think like the challenge of expectations, I think there are probably story expectations you always want to think about in terms of market expectations. I think you do your best guess. And I think in terms of um, filmmaking, I think you're not, it's like the stock market. You can't really project out too far because by the time your film is finished, something could have happened big in the world and nobody's going to care about it. You know what I mean? Whether it was, was just a shift in how people think about a particular issue. But I think... Um, So you want to be careful about sort of playing that game. I think there are certain things, to your point about filmmaking being an expensive hobby, that are very helpful in terms of making films and managing it in such a way that you're not thinking, I'm going to make a $5 million sci-fi film with my, you know, like grandmother as the star and my mom as the lead. You know what I mean? Like, think about it. Right. Like, I mean, unless your mom's like Meryl Streep, yeah. because you might make that choice. Exactly. <laughs> Fine, you might. Yeah. But, you know, it's like, I mean, we tried to with Remember Me, our intention initially was just to make a film that summer. Um, and we didn't know at that point point when we first decided that we were going to have Rita Moreno, um, we decided further on once we got further in the script that we really wanted her and and that the script was developed around her specifically. Um, But, you know, I think we were very conservative in how we did the film. And it certainly went up budget wise uh, quite a bit from what we started. But I think like Keep your budget, especially if you're a newer filmmaker or producer, keep your budget small as you can, but still also thinking about quality all the time. And I think the other thing about I would say about expectations is I do think that you want to make sure – I think sometimes with – I'm sorry. I'm really going off on a different tangent, but I'll just finish the idea that sometimes when people are starting a film, they kind of are more generic about things. Like as they're for, like I'm going to tell a story about a family lives in a house. It's like, okay, you really want to make it something very specific. Yeah, exactly. A yurt that would be helpful. But something there's a reason you still have to tell a story about this family, not just like another family it. whose child got sick and something happens. Like, uh, I, first of all. Just don't love those kind of films, but I also feel like you wanna really stand out story-wise, especially the smaller the budget. And also visually, I loved when you mentioned that you were thinking about the visual look of your film and comedy, because I feel like that is the biggest, biggest thing, even if you're a small budget, is be really specific visually. And give your audience something to create a world, you know, and I think when you create a world, you can go much farther on a small budget film in terms of getting it out into the world and having people be interested in it if you have a really strong, strong story that says something important and that the look of the film Conveys that too. So, sorry, that was really long. No, that's just great.
0: That, let's let's that. dig into story because I want to like with Remember Me. What were some of the ways that that you that the change that the story evolved and that sort of surprised What did you learn about story making in the process of ushering this film into the world into being? Hmm. You know, especially just things that might be helpful for people who are in this process. You know, what like what makes a strong story come through in a script and then come through off the page, right? Like, you know, that translation. You know,
3: they they say when you that you when you make a movie, you really make it three times. You make it when you write the script. You make it when you shoot the story, and then you when you shoot the film and then you make it again when you are editing. Mm -hmm. So I think, you know, in terms of writing the script, um, we wanted to not have kind of a throwaway character in the grandmother as just somebody who happened to be there. Who's just, you know, somebody they have to move from one place to another. And we really worked on developing that character, which also became part of the theme of the story was, you know, let's not marginalize older people. And so I liked how story and theme
0: really worked together and and informed one another. So so originally, was she just like dropped off at the nursing home? And that was the end? Originally, she had dementia.
3: And it was just like, get her there and Uh. drop. Off. She really wow. had no, um, she didn't really contribute very much. Amazing.
1: Do you ever have a moment where you guys wanted to title this, get her to the home on time?
0: <laughs> <laughs> but you know what I love about that? Because I've found this in my own work is that, um, that, for me, very often what the realizations that I have in writing become the characters'
2: realizations. Mm-hmm.
0: And actually yeah. and revelations and all of that.
2: Yeah. But I think too, you know, I when you asked before about what do we look for in a script, and I think one of the things that in our discussions with Steve Goldblum, who is the writer, um, You know, because he had a grandparent with dementia, so he was really relating to that aspect of it in his own life and how you deal with that when you get to that place and how that relationship changes. But, um, you know, I think Nanu and I, being on the other side of 40, felt like, let's not make every old person have dementia. (laughs) Like, (laughs) that's not, that actually, but the great thing about that, so that was both like a personal feeling. Also, you know, Nanu has a mother who is, you know, much older and a very successful um, pianist, a concert pianist. And I have a grandmother who's ninety-one and um, who's very sharp, and but who had an issue of over medication coming up, oh, wow. and we all thought it was the end of her life. And anyone's mother had a similar episode of years ago, where you start to write people off at a certain age. You go, oh, they broke their hip, oh, they're not getting out of bed so much, and then pretty soon. And in both cases, that was not what happened with them. They actually came on another side, and so I. I think it, the great thing about it was there was a personal feeling on our part, like, yeah, we don't want to see another older person with dementia. But from a story standpoint, it actually was not the strongest choice to have that because we weren't exploring dementia. This wasn't Amor. So um, it was actually created much more conflict to, to have her be over medicated, which is very realistic, because then when she comes out of it, she is a force against them. She is her own antagonist. She is obstructing their goal. So I think that's the great thing sometimes about not looking at the easy choices you're making in a story, whether it's in casting a story, whether you've realized like, wow, everyone's, you know, white, everyone's heterosexual, you know, every only minority characters are the quirky ones or the like, whatever. It's like look at, challenge your own ideas. And we do that all the time in stories. I mean, we're even looking at stories and trying to figure out and struggling a little bit where we have a male main character. And it's like, could we make this a female character? You know, how does that change the story? Which, quite honestly, can change a lot of things. So then you're really juggling. So, but I think it's really exciting. I think one of the things I feel like we both also came up in the second phase of writing the story of uh, when we started production was... We had this issue one day where a scene we wanted filmed um, on a carousel, which would have been a funny talk about sex. And then it ended up being shot in the bar and the director really wanted to keep it in the bar and not to change it. So we had our DP said to us, because we were like, what are we going to do now? We booked the carousel. We don't have anything. (laughs) Our DP said to us, what is a scene that you don't have in the movie that you need? And it was, I feel like one of the most pivotal questions and, We said, oh, we haven't seen the grandmother grieve, like, process. We've seen her get upset. We haven't seen her process. It was the most wonderful thing, and I think it's one of our favorite scenes in the whole movie, and it was so neat. So one of the things I feel like I really learned, and it's like one of those things you know, but because it also came up in editing. We thought, oh, we did not finish Nana's story. We didn't have a certain scene at the end of the movie, and so we ended up shooting that in post. So I feel like the big lesson I learned was follow – each character all the way through. When you're looking at a script, often we get hooked, especially in a comedy. And you have two really funny characters, and you're just kind of looking at them. And it's like, I don't know, follow the thread of each character and make sure you have followed whatever their arc is all the way through. And I feel like that was a big note. And the other big note I feel like we got, and this is... I don't know that every screenwriter could do it. If you've written a screenplay and are giving it to someone else, this may be harder. But for us, we know that in the script, we're always going to have some things that are on the nose because you can always cut them. But there was a real reticence on our part and the writer's part to have anything that was on the nose. I mean, there was there was some debate about whether we should do it. What, I, what we realized later was, yeah, put it in there, shoot it, and cut it if you Want to, but otherwise, you may not have that one statement that you need about what that movie's about. And you'll notice in most movies that are successful, there's usually one very on the nose statement exactly about what the movie's about.
3: And as and, and a, there's a of, you don't even notice it. Yeah,
2: yeah. You don't
3: think, oh my god, on an on the nose statement. And I'm usually looking for those, but it just seems that this is the character's heartfelt feeling and you just need it out there and you
0: need it stated. Can can you give an example?
1: Well this is also very Blake Snyder because he has the thing right? His third step is theme stated by someone other than the main character Right, right.
3: I mean I I would say um,
0: an example I can't think of an example. Well um, How about in Remember Me? Was there a line you wished someone had said or a line someone said that felt on the nose that ended up being helpful?
3: I think I wished we had had a line where someone is saying, um, you know, we, I mean, I just wish we had said, we think of old people, you know, we we just written her off. We think of old people as somebody who's going to get old and sick and not well and so we didn't even notice she was over medicated (laughs) you know because we (laughs) assume how old people are and so we really should have known i mean just something just that
1: blatant or um um you can't pull pam back in for that one because i feel (laughs) like that was the character (laughs) the doctor coming in
2: Yeah. Yeah. yeah, actually, I think that's a really good point. I don't think I've heard that before about not the main character saying it. That's a really good point. I do think it's funny. A lot of times, you know, you'll see in a movie where at the midpoint, the director, go, not the director, the main character goes, there's no turning back now.
3: It's <laughs> like, OK, we're at the midpoint. You know? <laughs> you know, even in Bridesmaids, I think at one point when she's living back at home with her mom. She even says, you know, I thought I was at my lowest point, right? but really I'm at my lowest point now. It's like, oh, is this the end of act two? How funny. (laughs) I mean, it really, you just, you see
2: it everywhere. Yeah. Well, the great thing is you can cut it. So, you know, if it's really obnoxious or people are hating it, you can cut it. But I think it just helps you because as you guys know, when you go back and edit a film, suddenly you're like, Searching And so we searched for lines that supported what Nenu was saying. It's like, oh, good, they say this. Oh, good, they say that. But you're piecing it together. So anyways, yeah. Yeah, 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 yeah. that's
1: great. Great. we're echoing. I, I know,
2: we're,
0: I know.
1: we're
0: uh-uh. uh-uh. Wait, hold on. <laughs> <I'm>
1: just, <laughs> just, to nine 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 for one to second. All right. Did that help? Uh-huh. Kind of. It's okay. Um So in your... How is it to work with someone that you have the idea and you're asking them, are you asking them to pitch something riffing on your idea? Are you asking them, are you giving them a treatment and having them write from there? Talk to us about your upcoming projects. As we're going forward, you yeah. mean? Um, well, in this particular
3: case, we um, have the idea Ourselves And we are pretty clear about what we want it to say in terms of this is this is the theme. Um, and we also one of the things that I think Heather and I both really love is collaborating with other creative people. Mm-hmm. So I think, you know, we come in with a strong idea and are more than open to hearing ways to develop that idea, to enhance it, to change it even. But I think we we come forward with a very clear, you know, straight up idea, um, which we outline. And then, but, you know, this is somebody we've actually um, explored this idea with before. So as we're doing it now, again, um, we're building on things that the three of us had talked about. Mm-hmm. so. So, so
2: it's, 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 it's been collaborated. We, as we said, um, and I think Steve said when he was on your show, we collaborate a lot with Steve, and we did it. And that script moved very quickly, um, and it was an interesting sort of back and forth. Like he, we talked about ideas. He'd write them. He'd send them to us. We'd give notes. Sometimes we did some of the writing on certain pieces, like with the grandmother, because he was feeling like that was a hard piece, um, and uh, it. It makes it a really exciting process. I mean, I think I think the rhythm is different for every writer. So I think with this next writer, we'll see because she's also um, has a lot of experience writing, and she's going to bring some things culturally too to it. Um, the lead character right now is an uh, Indian man, and um, and the writer is half Indian, and um, so I think that will bring. Uh, so I think just every process is going to be a little bit different. So um, you know. You have to be able to give the writer autonomy and to bring um, what they want, but as a new set, as the producers. And actually, we love this writer because she just said, "Well, you're the producers. Like you get to decide what you want." It's like, yeah, we get to decide what we want. So, <laughs> so you know.
0: can you talk specifically about how you outline something? Like, do you have certain steps that you want to hit? You talked about, you know, you mentioned sort of midpoint and low point. Like, do, what, how, what's the structure for an outline for you guys?
3: For us. No, it's the only structure. <laughs> um, well, as we talked about, we are really interested in the transformation of a character. That somebody starts off with a limited belief, like we all have in all areas of our life, in many areas of our lives, we all have we all have beliefs, and so sometimes they're limited and they keep us, they hold us back. So we really start with that, and then we look at. I mean, I don't know exactly if we did it this way, but we look at if we if they didn't have that or what would their life be like or what would they want and what is holding them, what is their limited ability holding them back from. So we start with that and um, then we move into what knocks the normal course of events off balance which is called the inciting incident. And then how does that complicate things enough to then set them on a new journey which End of Act One, beginning of Act Two, um, and then the midpoint is that moment where it's the um, opposite of the low point of Act Two. So the midpoint is the moment where they have kind of freed themselves a little bit from the limited belief, and but are very focused on one particular goal. So it's kind of a high point; things are going well. They think that things are going the way they should be going but um, as things get more stressful they revert back to their limited belief and I think part of the limited belief and part of their goal is focused on is because they are focused on this one outcome and that is what they want and they're doing everything towards that and then the low point is their furthest point from the goal where they definitely do not make that goal and you know my and then and then i think really comes my favorite part which is act three which is the um, the transformation it's the understanding of something new about life and that understanding enables them to have a much more expansive life as as they go forward and sometimes they get their goal but most of the time it's transformed into something else it's shifted so that they don't get what they thought they needed in order to be happy but they bring their new level of understanding to their life and they get the expansiveness that that includes so um, I think that is what I would say is the basic structure
2: and I would just add that the two um, ways like as you said it so eloquently and then the ways that we condense it if we're doing a quick test of our story is there's two little templates we like. There's one from Pixar. Once upon a time, there was a man who did blah, blah, blah. Um, Every day they did blah, blah, blah until one day the inciting incident. Something happened, and then, and then because of that, and then because of that, and then because of that. And the, That's I, actually improv
1: too. That
2: yeah, actually comes it, from improv
1: before Pixar, but yeah. yes, Pixar and has
2: it. That's it, <laughs> it the story. It's a great way to sort of make sure that the, there's movement in a story. I think the other one, which Nanu taught me, I think from your UCLA days, maybe, which was you know opening scene, um, normal life, but the normal life character is inciting incident beginning of act two and i think our one of our screenwriting teachers said you know uh in act one you get the character up in the tree act two you're throwing rocks at the right and then they get out of the tree so and then you know you go through act two and then the low point midpoint low point and then um the, the new life. And I think those are really simple ways to kind of like check yourself and whether it's a screenplay or I think even a book. I mean, I think it's helpful with anything. Now you guys are
0: both really strong on structure. And I know you've watched and as well as read, but like watch so many films. Do you find these in the same order in every film? And when you don't find them, is it always a weakness? What have you found in watching with this in mind? Um, I definitely watch with it in mind. And,
3: well, actually, that's, that's not exactly correct. I try to just go into a movie and just experience it and really take my let myself go on that journey. If I am pulling out and starting to think about it, it's usually because something is not there, not because something is there. Mm-hmm. Um, and then at the end of the movie, my critique comes on, and I can really see the things that are missing and why, and they're usually one of those steps. Mm -hmm. Um, But I think that also I am – if there is a transformation of character, if somebody has struggled and desired something and wanted and worked on it and has changed as a result, I don't need all those steps. I just really need to see some kind of transformation of character. And um, and if I don't see that – I usually feel like there's, it hasn't done what I would like it to do.
2: I think too. One thing I would add along those lines, which we didn't mention before when we talk about the story, but I think one of our big, big takeaways after this last film, I think, and we knew it, but it came back to us, every character has to have a goal, right? Every character. So what I think about is there are some films that don't follow that structure as closely. I feel like there was a film Watcheda, which was the first film made in Saudi Arabia and also directed by a woman. Um, a really wonderful story. The girl has a goal. She wants to ride a bike, which is Mm -hmm. illegal or not allowed. Um, And the story is kind of long in pieces. I don't think it totally follows like an American three act structure, but it's a very satisfying story. First of all, you're you know, you're transported to another world. You're so engaged with this little girl. The stakes feel very high. So I think that's another thing of your goal and stakes. And, you know, I think there are other films that you know, I think Brooklyn last year was an interesting one because I think there were a lot of weaknesses in the story and yet it was like a really pleasant experience and it was fun to be in another world. And yet there seemed like some, like she never confronted any obstacles really along the way. Like it just wasn't that, nothing was that hard. It was resolved very easily. You know, I don't know if you guys saw it, but, um, and I think, Read uh, Oh, okay, and Amazing. she's that one, yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. No, no, well, I, I didn't read either, but I knew that I think you felt like it had the same weaknesses in the book, right? And um, so I feel like I feel like it's easy for me to sort of get absorbed into the story. And like, and you're saying and then all of a sudden you feel like, wait a minute, like, why isn't this working? Or that didn't pay off me suffering through that. Like, you no, know, I mean, if you're going to watch a hard film, one of my favorite, favorite films is the lives of others, which is a film about East Germany. And I think like, I almost left at certain points, not because it wasn't good, but because it was so excruciating. Mm-hmm. And the end I just thought was beautiful and touching and not a happy ending but like a meaningful ending and it's like if you're going to take people through that and I think that's another test in scripts we have it's like if you're going to take people through a lot of stuff, there's got to be a reason and even if it's tragic there's still got to be a reason, not just because we're all screwed, so (laughs) No, I mean, I mean, we've actually had someone say that, like, you know, about scripts, like, well, what's your message? Well, basically, we're all screwed. And, and we don't actually believe that. So we're not going to put that out there. It's OK as a debate, but it's it's not our sort of take on things. So
1: basically, Samuel Beckett, probably not a big <laughs> uh, likelihood spark to light. get a sparklight. No sparklight film. No, spark. back. <laughs> yeah. Visually <laughs> interesting as it could be. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> So it is that time, my friends, for Steal This, and uh, this is based on T.S. Eliot. Eliot's uh, statement that Damn. amateur bar- poets borrow, professional poets steal. What's well, something you have come across that you'd like to steal yourself. Well, I think I already said it,
3: which is Lindsay Dorian's view of the three rules for um, Of of writing. Can you say what they are for our listeners? I can indeed. Um, One is that it should be arresting and amusing to the drunk. (laughs) <laughs> which I really love because, um, you know, it shows that we have to kind of penetrate. Mm-hmm. And right now I don't think people are coming to theaters drunk, but they're watching things on their screen, you know, and, and looking at their phone. I mean, I think it, you really need to capture somebody's attention. They're drunk on social media.
1: So you need to kind of- <laughs> they've, they've started selling beer at our local theater house as well. So they may in fact be drunk. Uh, be drunk. Yeah. Um, and then um, it should address the question
3: of how should we live? And then um, it should address the, ke- the question, how does the universe work? Mm. And I just love those. And I feel like, you know, um, I feel like art has, we have a responsibility and we have the power and we have the tremendous opportunity to say something important in what we put out there. And that's, I feel like she really encapsulates a lot of that for me so Lindsay Doran that would be mine what I steal
2: Um, I'd like to steal from Mira Nair the director um, who did Monsoon Wedding and Mississippi Masala and Salam Bombay I love her um, I love both her storytelling but I love her visual storytelling I love how rich her films are culturally visually color they're just so alive I think they're incredible Um, I also really love um, the director Mike Mills' film Beginners. It just has such a like beautiful visual it's beautifully visually. It's um it's beautiful visually. It also has just, like, such a tenderness to it and such, like, even with the sort of melancholy, there's such love and beauty in there, and I just, so, I would steal from him, too. I could probably think of a long list, yeah. yeah? I have somebody else I'd like to steal from. <laughs> no, like, oh, we
3: can steal from anybody. Um, Jean Cocteau did some amazing films very, 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 very early on. So creative, so inventive, and um, I would love to have that element of creativity and invention, that's
1: what I would like from hmm. him. Thank
0: you very much. Wonderful.
1: <laughs> Angie, uh, how about you? Oh, <sighs> Well, actually, like right now, I'm in a place where I really am not necessarily even ready to steal. I am in a place to maybe ogle the, <laughs> you know, available jewels and then decide. But right now I'm... You're window shopping I'm window shopping I'm reading this book about uh, The visual story is what it's called And it just breaks down really simply um, Thinking about space So like I've just spent like the last few nights Thinking about sort of Flat space, deep space, limited space, ambiguous space, and then, you know, moving on to, you know, just looking at contrast and how these things all sort of come together and how you can, an affinity and what, what things work together and how. So, um, basically, I just want to, you know, go to a museum. I want to look at great still art. I want to see crazy stylists of film and see what they're doing and um, you know I think there's a lot like my goal frankly is to have a beautiful comedy I think that there are a lot of films that are you know a combination of like horror and comedy or whatever but a beautiful comedy is not something you actually see a lot and i th- and i'm starting to think it's in part because of the emo- emotional response to depth and contrast so Ooh. so that's what i'm thinking about right now
0: <laughs> okay. i'd love to hear your conclusions yes <laughs> i just had the funny experience of reading the, this one, the, it was it was the combo that was funny. So uh, I read The Children's Crusade by Ann Packer, whom we're going to be interviewing shortly on the podcast, and she's just such a wonderful writer. I just love her writing, and I love the the nuanced sort of world, this, the details, the setting, the way she, you know, character, the whole thing. Um, and and then simultaneously, I was binge listening to the first season of Serial, which I had missed. Yeah, yeah, and kind of toggling between um, the kind of the pull of gorgeous writing and the pull of story. And, and kind of my interest is in marrying those and creating the experience that I had where every second that I wasn't, you know, interacting with people, I was plugged into the story. You know, I, in fact, I cleaned the house a, a lot extra because I just was had to listen to this for like 10 hours in a row. And then and then and then going into the, the deep pleasures of reading and just kind of so I've just been thinking about how those two play off each other.
2: That's great. <laughs> it's fun to talk about people who inspire you, isn't it? It's just fun and it's wonderful. Yeah, and I think it's fun that you're talking about doing a lookbook. I also feel like that's something I do for myself when I want inspiration, and mm-hmm. it could be anything, which is really yeah. And bringing in those elements because it's in a way, it's you know, it's funny. I was thinking when we we're talking about structure earlier, and if someone's listening and filling. I, I think there's like a time, like Nanu was saying when talking about writers, like there's a time to just be working and there's a time to have your editor hat on, there's a time to be thinking about what to bring on the world. And I think the same thing with screenplays is that there's a structure, but actually if you think about the structure, it's a lot really like life right? We have beliefs that hold us back, right? We have a flaw or a belief that holds us back. Often we have the same experience over and over in our life until we finally get to a place where we have to address it. And then we struggle with whether how we're addressing that, right? And then whether it's like a marriage falls apart or something comes up in your life that's challenging you, whatever it is. And then at some point you either are able to resolve that issue or you're not, right? And if you resolve, Either way, either your life's going to continue on, which might be a tragedy, in a way that you don't like. No, I just mean tragic on that level. It could be a minor level, right? But I think that going back to sort of all the things that we're talking about, it's like there's a level beyond the ABCs of everything. There's a a feeling. We all have a story we want to tell. And a lot of times people... Tell the same story over and over again in their work. They're just looking at it always from a different side, right? Mm-hmm. And uh, which is what makes it exciting and beautiful. And that's why it's fun to look at all these people who inspire us because they're exploring something.
1: You know, it's it's interesting that you you brought up the idea of telling the story over and over. When I was at CineStory, I had the chance to interact with Meg LeFauve in a couple of different things. And one of the things she talks about is this personal thematic. And she'll talk about how, you know, we, we do have these things that we're going over again and again. But that's also part of why you'll see certain teams really kind of have a long, healthy relationship. Because there's a relationship and an understanding. of those personal thematics, even if they may not realize it, that they're both interested in exploring similar things.
0: It sounds like you guys have a strong shared personal thematic.
2: We really do. (laughs) And it's really (laughs) wonderful. It's like, I mean, really, it's the great, it's like, well, it feels like this really firm foundation. I mean, just so solid because... We, I mean, we see films, I mean, we we often see films in similar ways. I mean, I think we also appreciate different aspects of things. I feel like um, I sometimes lose track of what the structure is, but I can get very hooked into the visual details and I knew really, but at the same time, we always come back to the same place, which is where something is emotionally for us and philosophically. And that's just, that's really the most exciting place to start from, I think.
0: You know, can, can, can you tell our listeners where they can find you, you guys, and your films?
2: <laughs> okay. So we have a website, sparklightfilms.com, which will soon be updated. It's not currently updated. Um, you can find us on IMDb. Um, Remember Me, um, there's, our website is Remember Me Film. F- film. Remember, Remember, Remember Me Film. Me film. .com. Note to readers if you have a title for a film, put an A in it. So it's at the beginning of the alphabet. <laughs> and uh, it's easier. And uh, we're also on, our film is Remember Me is on Facebook. We also had another film that we were producers on, Eastside Sushi, which is on Facebook. It's available on Amazon. So it's a really wonderful uh, independent film that's done really well. And then we have a film, uh, Carrie Pilby. Also on- yes. Oh, also on iTunes. East Side Sushi is also on iTunes. It's still in some theaters, and uh, and then we have another film coming out probably later this year, early next year, called Carrie Pilby. So I think you know IMDb is a good place to go. Excellent.
0: Ahead. All those links will be in the show notes as well as links to our interviews with your directors, um, Anthony Lucero and Steve Goldblum, who have both been guests on the podcast. So yes. and Did you did you interview Ulrich? No. No, no. but we're, we're happy to. Send him our way.
1: Well, no, I know how to get a hold of Ulrich. <laughs> okay.
0: Great. Thank you so, so much for
2: Thanks coming you and for sharing time. your wisdom. Yeah,
0: thank really you. Really wonderful.
2: Really fun conversation. Thank yeah. you. Thank you. Take care. Bye. Bye. Bye.